Hi, I'm Ken. I've been one of the leaders here at Christchurch now for the last seven years. And today is actually my last time uh, with you as one of your pastors. And so it's with uh, real sadness that this will be the last time I get to, to speak with you as one of your pastors, but also great joy to get to share the particular Bible passage we're looking at today. So uh, with that, it'd be good to have the Bible open. So if you need a moment to get a Bible and open it up to Psalm chapter one, or maybe if you need to get your kids settled, uh, just take a minute now to do that. And uh, we're really excited to be looking at God's word together today. So here we go, Psalm one. Why don't I pray as we get started? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that in it we can find real delight and real joy as we meditate on it and as we take it deep into our hearts. I pray that we would do that even now as we look at it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few years ago, for Emmy's birthday, we went down to the West End in London to see the musical Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And uh, Emmy and I are both big Road Doll fans, so this is a really great experience for us. And I remember we, we go into Drury Lane Theatre and we find our seats and we're just kind of chatting before about our excitement about what we're about to see and wondering, you know, how similar to the films is it going to be? How similar to the book is it going to be? And then all of a sudden, it goes dark and music starts to play. And they start to play music that I hadn't heard before and, and they actually played through what's called an overture. And the overture is just uh, the, the band playing through the songs that are gonna be coming up in the musical. And it's there to prepare you, there to get you ready for what you're going to be hearing so that when the song comes during the musical, you already sort of know the tune. But something really interesting happened during this overture. I noticed as the band was playing, I started to smell a faint smell of chocolate. And all of a sudden, the smell comes just flooding through the room. And so here we are listening to the overture, getting our ears prepared for what we're about to see. And the producers of the musical have geniusly also gotten our smell ready for what we're about to see. And so throughout the entire musical, the whole theater is actually filled with the smell of chocolate. It's a great way to start a musical. It's a great way to start anything, to prepare you for what you're about to see, for, to prepare you for the experience you're about to go through. Well, the passage that we're looking at today, Psalm 1, is just like an overture. It's an overture not only for the entire book of Psalms, but the themes in Psalm 1 are actually the same themes that are re repeated all throughout the Bible. It talks about the righteous and the wicked and the word of God. And so, Psalm 1, not only is it an overture for the whole book of Psalms, but really it's an overture for the entire Bible. Because you see, the writers of the Psalms, they didn't write these poems and songs in a vacuum. They didn't just sit down and come up with these ideas on their own. What the psalmists are doing is they're meditating on the words of God. They're meditating on the Bible. And then the Psalms are them writing down their reflections of what they've seen in God's word, how it moves them, how it challenges them, how it comforts them. And so Psalm 1, actually, really it's a meditation on what happens to a person who does that too. What happens to a person if they spend their whole life meditating on God's word? What kind of person do they become? What happens to them? And Psalm 1, it functions like this overture. It's actually leading you to 
soak in not only the sounds, but the smells and everything that's going to come in the Psalms and all through God's word. It's meant to, to prepare you for reading God's word and to take the sounds and the smells deep into you. And if you do, look what happens. Did you notice when it was read, the very first word of the psalm? It's not just the first word of Psalm 1, it's the first word of all the psalms. Take another look at it, verse 1. Blessed. Blessed is the one. Now that word blessed, it means happy, it means fulfilled, it means joyful. It's a picture of someone who's flourishing. The book of Psalms, it begins by making a statement, and here's the statement. Here it is. It is possible to be happy. It's possible to flourish. That if you enter into this book, into God's word, and you take it into your life, it's possible to be blessed. Blessed is the one. But deep down, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that it's possible to be happy? Like, is it really possible to flourish? I mean, just think for a minute about all that gets in the way of happiness, all the things that get in the way of flourishing. I mean, right now we're living through a pandemic and at worst that means someone that you love has died or it means you could die. At best, it means an inconvenience to your day-to-day -day life and somewhere in between those two extremes are all sorts of canceled holiday plans and wedding plans and vacation plans and work plans. Well, not only that, but over the past month, we've been rightly confronted with systemic racism and how taking part in that actually destroys the ability for other people to flourish just because of the color of their skin. And perhaps on a more basic level for you, it's meant a job loss or it's meant loneliness or strained and broken relationships or just spending all day with strong-willed children or it's made mental illness worse. These things or these types of things, they're always going on around, not just in a pandemic, but they're always going on around us or inside of us. So how is it possible then to be blessed? How is it possible to be happy? How is it possible that the psalmist can say, blessed is the one when it seems like everything is stacked against us? Well, the psalmist is going to show us. And to do it, the psalmist takes us to meditate at three places. He takes us first to the road, then he takes us to the river, and thirdly, he'll take us to the courthouse. And in each place, the road, the river, the courthouse, the psalmist shows us where it is that we try and find our happiness, but always come up short. In each place, he then gives us an alternative, a way to live, that if we find it, if we walk along that way, then we'll be blessed, we'll be happy, we'll flourish in our lives. And so let's go first to the road. Look again at verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, in verse 1, we meet this person along the road. And it's as if the person along the road has come to a fork in the road, and one road says on the sign, happiness this way, 
The other road says, righteousness this way. Well, what do you choose? Do I want happiness? Or do I want righteousness? It seems like you can't have both. You're either happy and wicked, or righteous and unhappy. That's what it kind of seems like. And let's be honest, this is actually, it's a hard choice for us today. Because even if you believe deeply that the righteous path is the right path, every voice in our culture says that in the end, you've got to do what makes you happy. Happiness trumps righteousness. Happiness is what life is all about. So if you're faced with a hard choice, then choose the one that makes you happy. Go down that road. That's what our culture is constantly telling us. That's the core narrative of Western culture today. But notice the psalmist says, that's actually not the way to happiness. Blessed is the person, he says, who does not walk in step with the wicked. Who does not stand in the way that sinners take. Who does not sit in the company of mockers. And so do you see what happens if you walk down this road? There's three verbs there. There's, first there's walk, then stand, then sit. And walking, it has to do with your behavior. It has to do with, with your habits, with your lifestyle. And so if you make happiness your chief aim, your chief lifestyle, then you'll be walking in step with the wicked. That will actually become your lifestyle. If happiness is your chief aim, if that's the road you go down, you'll make all kinds of decisions down that road that you never dreamed you would make. The second verb there is to stand. And to stand, it means to take a stand for something, to actually become like an advocate for a certain way of living. And then lastly, it's to sit. And in the ancient Hebrew, where you sit is actually where you belong, where you sit becomes your central identity. And look where that road leads. So if you walk down the road, if you advocate for that way of living, eventually you'll sit down and that will become your whole identity. And you sit in the company of mockers. You become a mocker. And this word, it's it's much stronger than maybe mocking someone's pandemic hair. It means you become the kind of person who can never see the good in anything. That's what a mocker is. Always finding something that you can complain about. So if you walk down this road, if you make happiness your chief aim, in the end, all happiness is stripped away because you can't see the good in anything any longer. Well, there's another road. Look at verse two again. Blessed is the one, starting in verse one, and then skip to verse two. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now remember this word blessed, it's, it's important. It's the first word in the book of the Psalms. And if we were to trace that word throughout the entire Bible, blessed, or that phrase, blessed is the one, a principle begins to emerge. And here's the principle. Blessed, being blessed, blessedness, happiness, can never be gotten directly. It's always a byproduct of something else. Happiness is never gotten by pursuing happiness. 
It's always and only a byproduct of pursuing something else other than happiness. And that phrase we have here in verse 1, blessed is the one, it is, it's all over the Bible actually. But never does it say, blessed is the person who pursues blessing. You won't find that. It's not in the Bible. It never says that. Instead, it says things like Psalm 1 verse 2, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Or later on, Psalm 94 verse 12, blessed is the one you discipline, Lord. Or in one of the most famous passages in the New Testament, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Get this, for they will be filled. It's a picture of flourishing. And so in the Bible, those who are blessed, those who are happy, those who are flourishing, who are filled, their main pursuit is not blessing. Their main pursuit is not happiness. It's always something else. Because blessedness, happiness, flourishing, whatever you want to call it, it's always the byproduct. Just look a little bit more closely at verse 2. What does it say? It says the blessed person's delight is in the law of the Lord. Now delight, that's, that's, a, that's a happiness word. And look what the blessed person delights in. They delight in the law of the Lord. The delight is a byproduct, in this case, of looking at God's word. Now, when you and I hear the law of the Lord, we immediately think rules, we think do's and don'ts, and certainly God's word includes that. But the psalmist has in mind not just those things, but all of God's word. The law of the Lord is shorthand, oftentimes in the Old Testament, for the message of the whole Bible, which is God's story of how he redeems humanity. Because you see, it's through God's word that we get to know God. He's actually chosen to reveal himself to us primarily through his word. And it's when you delight in that word, when you pursue God through that word, that you become blessed, you delight. So how do you get that delight? How do we get it? Well, look at the second half of verse 2. It's by meditating on it day and night. And meditating, it doesn't mean going off and becoming some sort of monk or nun and going and living in a monastery or a convent and doing nothing but praying and reading the Bible all day. That's not actually what meditating means in the Bible. The kind of meditation the Bible has in mind is explained in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So what is it that we're supposed to do with the Word of God? What does it look like to meditate on God's Word? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, take a look at this on the screen. It says this, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And so to meditate on God's word is actually, it's, it's to have it on your heart. And it's to talk about it with your children. To talk about it when you're at home. To talk about it when you're out and about on the road. It's to talk about it when you lie down to bed at night and when you wake up first thing in the morning. The one who does that is the one who's blessed. The one who finds delight. And so here we are, we're standing at the fork in the road, seek happiness or seek righteousness. If you seek righteousness more than happiness, you'll get both. 
But if you seek happiness more than righteousness, you get neither. Let me try and illustrate this for you because, well, this is my last pastor uh, sermon as a pastor of your church, and I thought I needed to give you a cycling illustration or you'd all leave unsatisfied. So here we go. Uh, years ago, a lot of you know this, I, with some friends, took a cycling trip all the way across America. We rode from one side of the country to the other. It was a long way. Uh, but you need to know, we didn't just sort of set out one day and just try and figure out the road as we went. We knew where we were going to start. We knew where we were going to end. And so what we needed was some map, something to help us get from start to finish. And so we ordered these maps. This is actually pre-Google Maps. This is pre-smartphone. We ordered these map, paper maps from a, an organization that puts together maps for just this purpose. And so every single map that we had, we had to have like 12 of them to get all the way across the country. Every single one of them had detailed instructions, turn by turn, step by step instructions. And it told us what was in every single city, every single town, every single village that we were gonna go through. And so we had these maps to get us from point A to point B. And so we followed them. We got them out in the morning and looked at the route and we followed it turn by turn. And at night when we got to where we were camping, we'd look at the map to look at what the next day was gonna be and we'd follow it turn by turn. You see, if we sought comfort on this trip, if we sought happiness, honestly, who knows where we'd end up? Because the truth is those maps took us up some unbelievably steep mountainsides and took us down some really narrow roads. It even took us on gravel roads. It took us on freeways, motorways. It took us on roads through narrow paths, windy roads. We went through all kinds of terrain. And I can tell you that if we sought happiness, we wouldn't have gone down about half those roads. And who knows where we'd end up? Now, instead, we followed the map. We meditated on it mile by mile. We studied it every night before we went to bed. We studied it again in the morning to make sure we knew exactly where we had to go. We followed it turn by turn. And because we did that, because we did that, we went down and in many cases went up a lot of hard roads, those steep roads, those winding roads, those gravel roads. But in the end, we got to exactly the exact location that we had set out to get to on day one. I'm gonna put on the screen for you a photo of the exact moment when we arrived at that location. And what you're gonna see on the screen, what you're seeing right now in this photo, is blessedness, it's happiness, it's joy, it's flourishing, it's delight. It was in this exact moment that every single denial of comfort along the road to follow the map was worth it. And this is what it looks like to be blessed, to be happy, to flourish. If we focused on happiness, we would have never gotten it. We wouldn't have gotten this kind of joy. And what the psalmist is showing us is that denial of self, pursuing something greater than happiness, that's how you get happiness in the end. Okay, so that's the road. That's one place we try and find blessing, but let's go to the next place. The psalmist wants us to meditate, and that's at the river. The second way we try and find happiness, we'll see at the river, is actually through our circumstances. Take another look at verse three, here we go. That person 
is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And again, we've got another contrast here, only this time it's not two roads, but it's a contrast between a deeply rooted fruitful tree and the chaff. The weightless dead husks that just get blown away by the wind. Let's think about verse 4, because here we have the wicked again. And what does it say that they're like? It says they're like that chaff. And chaff, it's the ultimate picture of what is rootless, of what is weightless. It's so light that all it takes is just a slight breeze and it's blown away. Well, what's the wind? Well, the wind, it's a circumstance. It's a situation. It's something you have no control over. A couple weeks ago, we were at a friend's house for their birthday. Don't worry. We were social distancing in their back garden, more than two meters away. And we were having a great time just catching up, discussing, and just enjoying a really, really nice Saturday evening until all of a sudden we started to hear some rumbling. You probably heard it too. And we looked up into the sky and not too far away were black clouds. And I could start to see the flashes of lightning come and I thought, we've got to get out of here now because we have a 30 minute walk to get home. We didn't have anything, any mass, so we couldn't take an Uber. So we were, Emmy and I were like, we've got to go. And so we pretty much just got up and left and, and started heading home. Now, what was the weather in that? That was a circumstance. I couldn't control that. I couldn't control the circumstance. Whatever was going to happen, happened. And what happened was a storm probably bigger than any storm I've seen in my seven years living here. And that's the image here of the wind. It's a circumstance. It's something you have no control over. I could not turn to the cloud and say, excuse me, cloud, could you just hold on for 30 minutes so we can get home nice and dry? And that's the wind here in... Psalm 1, it's a circumstance, something you have no control over. So what happens to the rootless, to the weightless person when the wind blows? They're blown away. So what's the alternative? What's the contrast? Well, it's to be like a tree. Back to verse 3, this tree that's planted by streams of water. I want you to see this because notice the tree. It's subject to seasons, which means it too is subject to circumstances. It's subject to a freezing cold winter and a dry, hot summer. Notice in the verse, it's not always bearing fruit. It bears fruit in its season. And when it says the leaf doesn't wither, it's not saying that it has luscious green leaves even in winter, even in a drought. It's not saying that. It's actually talking about a drought. When the harsh summer sun dries up everything else, when the circumstances are terrible, this tree has leaves that don't wither up and die. Why is it like that? What's the difference between this tree? Why does the psalmist say that this tree always prospers no matter the season? Well, it has to do with where it's planted. It's planted, notice this, by the stream. 
And that word for planted, it's actually transplanted. The tree has been moved and planted by the stream. It used to be somewhere else, but it got picked up and moved and transplanted next to the stream. And so here you have a tree that, just like the chaff, it's subject to circumstances. It's subject to the wind, it's subject to the drought, it's subject to seasons, and yet this tree always prospers. And the difference is that this tree is planted by a stream. A stream that's there even when the heat comes. And so what's the point? Well, here's the point. Happiness can't be found in circumstances. So we've already seen you can't find happiness by pursuing it, and now we're seeing you can't get happiness in your circumstances. It can't be found in circumstances because no matter how hard you try to build up the best possible circumstances for your life, you can't control them all. And so viruses come. The wind comes, it blows away the good circumstances that you built for yourself. I saw an article last week about the CEO of Airbnb, and he was talking about the impact of COVID on his business. Airbnb is an incredibly profitable company. It took them 12 years to build a global brand worth billions of dollars. And here's what the CEO said this week. It took us 12 years to build Airbnb, and we lost everything in four to six weeks. You can't control circumstances. You can't control them. No matter how hard you try, the wind will blow. You can't control them. But what the psalm says is you can still bear fruit in your life. Real blessedness, real happiness, it's not based on circumstances. It's actually based on being transplanted near the stream. And that's the thing about being a Christian. Christians are transplanted people. The Bible consistently tells us that a Christian is not fundamentally a good person on their own. They're not fruit bearing on their own. A Christian is someone who's been transplanted and rooted into something beside himself or herself. A Christian is transplanted into Christ. Christ is the stream and when we're rooted in him, then we bear fruit then we can endure any circumstances and still be blessed. And don't miss this. Don't misinterpret this. It's, this is not saying a Christian is someone who's immune from difficult circumstances. The text doesn't say that. It says the opposite of that. It doesn't say become a Christian and your life will be easy. It says the opposite. A Christian is just as vulnerable to circumstances as anyone else. The seasons still come. The wind still blows which means when we're going through seasons of dryness, when we're going through seasons of drought, when the circumstances are stacked up against us and everything seems to have been stripped away, it means then we have somewhere to draw life from. We have roots that go down to the stream. We can draw strength from our roots, from what, from who we're rooted in. And so we need to 
grow roots even deeper down and draw strength from the stream. And that, by the way, that's what we should be telling one another when we see someone struggling through difficult circumstances. We shouldn't go around them and tell them to smile. We should go and say, let's get your roots down deeper. Let's dig deeper into Christ because in him you'll find more blessing than you ever imagined. Well, there's one more place the psalmist wants to take us and that's the courthouse. And it's in the courthouse that we'll actually see how we become transplanted, how we can put our roots down into Christ. And what we're going to see is that when you're rooted in Christ, you can actually stand up in the courthouse. So let's take a look. Now, before we dig into that verse, I just want to say uh, only once in my life have I had to stand before a judge. Confession time, last sermon, so here we go. Uh, Just to put you all at ease, though, it wasn't for anything big or heinous. It was just a traffic violation. Well, it was a series of traffic violations, let's be honest. And it was big enough at this point that I was called into the courthouse and I had to stand before the judge and make my plea. Now, the night before, I sat down and I thought about how I would plead not guilty and and instead make my case. What I would say to the judge, I had all these arguments about how I was wrongfully pulled over by the police and how they were not taking into account my circumstances. And basically, I had an argument that wouldn't even stand the scrutiny of a bad courtroom TV drama. But the truth was, I was guilty. I did what they said I did. Well, verse 5 here, it actually reads, with all the tension of the morning, I showed up at the DeKalb County, Illinois courthouse to make my plea. Right, here comes the accused. He's walked in step with the wicked stood in the way of sinners and sat in the company of mockers. And now he's made his way into the courtroom, ready to make his case. Verse five. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The person who's walked in step with the wicked, the one who's pursued happiness as his chief aim, It says here, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. When he goes into the courthouse, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. Now, as I stood there on that day in the courthouse, I didn't have a leg to stand on either. When I came and stood before the judge, my own sense of unrighteousness in regards to the law became so apparent to me. I couldn't hide behind anything. And so I stood before the judge and he asked me to make my plea and I just said, guilty. That's the picture here in verse five. The psalmist is talking about legal standing. The person who has walked in step with the wicked actually has no legal case to make. All of his unrighteousness is stacked up against him. There's nothing to hide behind. And so he has no standing in the courtroom. Now remember Psalm 1, it's a meditation on all of God's word. And what we would learn if we 
took the time to meditate on all of God's word is this. It's what you'd learn about yourself. It's what you'd learn about me. None of us could stand. Not one of us could walk into the courtroom and have a leg to stand on. All of us actually start out life already walking in step with the wicked, which means no one can stand in the courtroom. In one of the later Psalms, Psalm 24, it says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy presence? And then he answers, the one with clean hands and a pure heart. Just think about yourself. Think about your life. Think about the roads you've walked down. Can you honestly say you have clean hands and a pure heart? None of us does. Because anytime you've put your own happiness before the needs of someone else, anytime you've thought selfish thoughts, done selfish things, uttered selfish words, you've actually dirtied your hands and you've revealed the impurity of your heart. And so none of us could stand in the courtroom. And so because of that, notice verse 6, we're all on the road that leads to destruction because there's another road here in verse 6. There's the way of the wicked that leads to destruction, but there's, again, the contrast. There's the way of the righteous. But notice also there's a contrast here in verse 6 with verse 1. Verse 1, blessed. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step of the wicked. And here in verse 6, destroyed. Destroyed is the one who walks in step with the wicked. Two roads. One leading to blessing. The other leads to destruction. So how do you get on the, the road to blessing? How do you get on that road? Well, we've already seeing you do it by meditating on God's word, by setting your mind on the very words of God. And what's the main thing that God's word wants to tell us? What's the main thing that God's word wants to reveal to us? It's this, it's that God has a son. And that his son is our savior. His son is our refuge. If you meditate on God's word, you will find that is the primary message, that God has a son who is our savior, who is our refuge. Most scholars, by the way, they think that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, they're a unit, that they're actually meant to be read together as one whole thing. And Psalm 1, you'll notice, starts with the word blessed. And if you read all the way down through Psalm 2, you'll find out that Psalm 2 ends with the word blessed. The word blessed, it bookends them like a unit. They're meant to be read as one thing. And it's in Psalm 2 that we meet God's Son. And at the very end of Psalm 2, we read this in verse 12. Blessed are all who take refuge in him, all who take refuge in God's Son. And what does it mean to take refuge in him? It means to make him your advocate in the courtroom. Because you've walked in step with the wicked, you don't have a leg to stand on in the courtroom. But God's son can. Jesus Christ, God's son, he can stand in the courtroom. And he did stand in the courtroom. He lived here on earth. And when he lived here on earth, he never took one step, not one step with the wicked. 
He spent his entire life delighting in the law of the Lord. His entire life pursuing not his own happiness, but righteousness, which means he's the only one who can stand in the courtroom. And the message of the Bible, the message that the psalmist is urging us to meditate on day and night, to delight in, that message tells us that God's Son not only is our advocate in the courtroom, but he's our substitute in the courtroom. The guilty verdict that belongs to you because you've walked in step with the wicked was given to him. And so he took all of your charges. And when he went to the cross, he died the death that you should have died. But he didn't stay dead. He couldn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead. And now not only is he our substitute, but he's our advocate in the courtroom. He stands next to us in the courtroom in front of the righteous judge. And he says, yes, that person is guilty. Yes, you are. Yes, he is. But because I lived the life he should have lived and died the death he should have died, I've already paid the penalty. And because of that, now we can stand in the courtroom as righteous, declared righteous in Jesus Christ, our substitute and our advocate. That's the Christian message. That's the message of the Bible, the core teaching of the Bible, that if you meditate on God's word, you will see that message. Now remember our fork in the road, seek happiness or seek righteousness. If you seek righteousness more than happiness, you'll get both. If you seek happiness more than righteousness, you get neither. And don't you see that if you meditate on Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he gives to us, you'll be blessed. Seek righteousness and you'll get blessing thrown in. Well, Psalm 1, it's just the overture. It's just familiarizing you with the sights and sounds and smells of the whole Bible. But if you keep going, if you keep reading, if you keep meditating day and night, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the road, when you're seated around the dinner table, if you meditate on the central message of the Bible, it fills you with delight, fills you with blessedness, causes you to flourish no matter the circumstances. And because of it, you can stand in the courtroom in front of the judge and know that Christ, your substitute and your advocate has given you his righteousness. And what this means, if you do this, if you delight in God's word, you will become like the tree in verse three bearing fruit, enduring the drought as you draw strength from the stream of God's word, the message about Jesus Christ. This is my last time addressing you as pastor in your church. And I very intentionally chose this passage because here's what I want for each and every one of you. I want you to be like this tree. 
I want you to be like this tree. I want you to put your roots down deep into Christ as you meditate on the word that reveals him. I want you to be like this tree that as you wake up in the morning, you would meditate on God's word. As you lie down to bed at night, that you would meditate on the person of Jesus. As you walk along the road, as you have dinner with your family, as you meet your friends in the pub, that this would be on your lips. That this message of God's word would go down so deep into you that you'll experience real blessing, real flourishing. And so that's my last challenge to you. And it's a joyful one, it's to delight. Delight in God's word that reveals Jesus to you. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it reveals Jesus Christ to us. We thank you that when we delight in it, we can flourish. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Christ Church Liverpool. Lord, would each and every one of them be like this tree? Would each and every one find real joy, real delight, real flourishing in Jesus Christ through your word? And it's in his name we pray. Amen.